Tonight I invite your attention to James chapter 4, verse 13. James, the apostle wrote, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas, verse 14 says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. The Holy Spirit certainly wanted to grab our attention because in our modern era, what, what happens to us? If you're a person that keeps up with Wall Street at all, and uh, uh, that can make you crazy, that can make your hair fall out, turn various shades, that can make various things happen in your life, that can make stress happen, that can make fear and anguish happen, but a lot of people do. But if you look at Wall Street, one of the things that CEOs and CFOs, chief financial officers and chief executive officers are held accountable for projected sales. They are supposed to tell you, this is what we think our company's gonna do. And they'll stand up on Wall Street and they'll go and talk to analysts all day long, sometimes for a week, and all of a sudden on Bloomberg or CNBC, uh, you'll see little reels go across the bottom about earnings and projected earnings. And then all of a sudden, later on, there'll be a company that maybe meets those projected earnings or goes beyond it. And then there are others, even though they've made projected earnings, they will fall dreadfully short. What do you think happened to all the companies that said we're going to make X amount of dollars in, uh, when 9-11 happened, how well do you think they met their numbers? What happened? Nobody expected that, did they? That's the reality of our life. Nobody expects the call. Nobody expects the day to come when we uh, fasten our seatbelt and we get in our car that we may never, ever get out of that car alive. I don't know anybody that ever, ever gets on a motorcycle and says, I'm going I'm to die because I'm on this motorcycle today, yet people do. I don't know anybody that goes to the doctor and says, you know what, the doctor's going to tell me I'm going to die in six months. I don't know anybody who gets, wants or thinks about that. James is literally grabbing us back and making us focus and realize there is a God in heaven that is to be reverenced and honored on a daily basis, and he really is in control. We just like to think we are because we've got a planner or a crackberry or whatever it is that we keep notes in and say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or I'm going to do the other. And because we say it, we're empowered and we're really in charge of our lives. Let me tell you something. You're not in charge. That doesn't mean you're not responsible for your choices. That doesn't mean that God's yanking your chain. You still have free will. But in the grand scheme of things, you do not hold your own breath in your hand. God does. God does. A little while, I want to ask you the great question. What is your life? Before we go further, we have a great privilege to pray. And that privilege to pray is only because of Jesus. Let's pray. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, Paul said, Any man that will not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, 
have denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. God never wanted us to be a people that literally did nothing with our lives. Part of the reason why humanity will break down, part of the reason why we are struggling in our great country today is because if we all would realize that we have a great function and role, we would all be better off. Now, God recognized this. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, they were even given a job to do. For example, dress the garden and keep it. And they were given a, a command to not disobey. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Very clear stuff. But there was a purpose there. God wants us always to be a people who have purpose. And I intend to talk about that in this concept of what is your life. We all, my point is, we all have to work. We all have to do something to provide for ourselves. We, we're born, we can't take care of ourselves. We go through diapers and training this and training that. We finally get up, we can walk, we get strong enough, our minds develop, and so we learn, and then we learn to do something. Every Jewish boy was taught a trade for a reason. And that reason was to provide. There was a great function in that. But let me tell you what we do. We get all caught up in the function. We get all caught up in what we're doing. And we like to schedule God. If you were to draw a pie right up here on the board, what we do is we say, well, you know what? I've got to work at least you know, a quarter of the time. Uh, I've got to sleep maybe more than half the time, some more, some less. And I've got to do this for fun, and I've got to do this for eating, and I've got to do this for this. And so we get this little sliver right down here, and we'll call that Sunday, and it better not be more than an hour of preaching. And if we've got communion, that better not take more than 15 minutes. And really, all said and done, I'm willing to give about an hour, some more, some less, and that's pretty much it. The rest of it's all up to me, and I get to be the, in the driver's seat, and I'm just going to do really whatever I please. And we wonder why we're so stressed out and have so much anxiety and so many things are just all out of whack in our own heads, in our families, and in our lives. We wonder why that is. And we get on our knees and we ask God, please help us. Please help us to get our lives straight out. Please help me to, to figure out what it is. How can I do this? And we want to give God an hour for Him to be able to communicate with us by preaching and teaching the Word of God. And we think somehow the rest of it's just all ours. Listen, God, we may not have God in our sleep, so to speak, but we can certainly allow God to influence our job, influence everything about us, everything around us. God certainly should be the very center of everything. They were buying and selling and they were getting gain, and that was not the sin. We all have to do that. The sin was... They were not putting God in the number one position in their life. He was not the one they consulted. He was not the one that they honored first. They honored the dollar first. They honored themselves. They were self-glorifying. And James literally rattles their cage. He rattles our cage by saying that is absolutely not okay with God. All such boasting is arrogance, he says, and he challenges us to acknowledge God by simply saying, if the Lord wills, I'll go tomorrow and do such and such. And I'll tell you, I appreciate that. That's very practical, very plain teaching. I'm a very black and white person. I like to be able to have clear direction. 
I know the Bible teaches in principle form. It allows me to make uh, applications as I grow spiritually. But sometimes there are just flat out practical things that are very real, very personal, and you can put in practice today. And one of those is when you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to meet you tomorrow, so and so at such and time. Don't just say that. Say, Lord willing, I'm going to meet you at such and such time and such and such place. That is practical. That's real. Put that in your life, James says. It's very real. So now my life changes. Now my life is about whether or not it's the Lord's will. I'm honoring him, and James required that of them, and I also believe of us. It has to do with trusting God in a lot of circumstances. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, notice what the proverb writer said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He didn't say part of it. He didn't say a little sliver of it. He didn't say, trust him when you're in church on Sunday and when things are going good in somebody else's life or your own life. That's not it. Trust in the Lord always with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, God may not be the one who shows up and tells you whether to sleep on a sleep number bed or a Sealy Posturepedic or one of those memory foam beds. But God certainly, through His will, if we will allow Him, and if we will meditate in His law day and night as David did, and if we will recognize He is the sovereign ruler of the universe, our lives change. When you recognize God in your speech, it is a reflection of things in your heart. And I'm not suggesting using God's name in vain, because that seems, the only, uh, seems to be the only way that God gets in the air time today. He wants airtime in our time, and that is we recognize Him in our lives. Challenge yourself to say, if the Lord wills every day about everything. It gets difficult sometimes because we're so used to planning. We get our calendars out and we look how busy we are. I dare you. I happen to look. I'm nosy enough to look over there as Frankie's trying to put stuff in his calendar, and it's pretty full. He's a pretty busy guy, believe it or not. I know that's shocking to you. Uh, it's really not shocking at all. And I'm sure your calendars are much like that. You get them out. Miss Nancy's got a neat calendar over here. She knows every sermon I've preached. I can't preach any repeats around her. She knows. Everybody has their calendar. You've got your dates. You've got your hours. You've got months. And you look at it and you say, well, what are you doing next week? I don't know. We flip through and we say, well, I've got to do this, this, and this. And it gets fuller and it gets fuller. And so we meet up for church and we're like, how busy were you? Oh, man, I'm so busy. I love what Joe Heisel says about that, you know. I'll tell you, man, I'm working seven days a week. And somebody steps up and says, well, I'm working eight. And that's the way it works. We get into a busy competition. And sometimes we are busy, and many times we are busy in this world, but in the moment of our busyness, in the busiest moments of our life, God had still better be number one. At work or play, wherever we are, He had better be the one we recognize first. Jesus prayed to God and concluded, Thy will be done in Matthew 6 and 10. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when He was praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering and pain, the agony that he was looking towards, that he knew he was going to have to endure. And he said, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
Because I want to tell you, there's some, there are some tough circumstances you're going to have to go through. And you're going to ask the Lord, if there's some other way, let it be. But not as I will, but as thou wilt. Not, not what I want, but what you want. Trusting God in those circumstances when we can't answer the questions that we sometimes want to answer is huge. It's huge. Paul was a guy who was very well aware of God's will. He said in Acts chapter 18 and verse 21, if God will. He said if the Lord will in 1 Corinthians 4.19 and if the Lord permit in 1 Corinthians 16 and 7. And I want to give you some context. Saul of Tarsus, his name was changed to Paul. You might hear me say this throughout this meeting. Let me explain it to you. God is all about name changing. He changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. And he changed your name from, or from sinner to saint. And he gets to do that. And God translated Saul from his sins and from a sinful way of being literally religiously in error. And he saved him. Saul arose from that, that day in Damascus. Ananias came and preached to him. And he was washed from his sins in the watery grave of baptism. And he arose and God began to reveal the truth. He began to preach the truth. And I want to explain to you Paul's life. Paul gave up everything. Paul gave up everything. Paul gave up everything. Did I tell you that Paul gave up everything? There's nothing Paul didn't give up. That means he gave up everything. Paul was left for dead. Did you know that? I heard Don King preach a sermon one time over the under in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, in about the 14th chapter, you'll find that the Bible says, And the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, shouldn't a preacher... Shouldn't God's preacher, shouldn't this apostle of Jesus Christ kind of have a free ticket and everything be rosy and everything be great? I mean, that's what the guys on TV say. Prosperity doctrine preachers, one of the greatest false doctrines of all time in our current age. Paul gave up everything and literally lived from day to day not knowing if his brains were going to get beat in by rocks because he was preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so he knew what it was to say, if the Lord will, if the Lord permit, if God wills. And we need to be able to say that with him. I've got to hurry on. James said planning life without God was evil boasting. Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let me tell you about a guy who didn't get it right. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, Jesus gave, or verse 15, Jesus gave a parable of God's view of a moneymaker. Now, making money's not wrong. Making a living's not wrong. Trusting in riches... And the love of money, big deal. That's a big deal. And you know, it's hard when you're a kid. I remember a guy at the 4th of July meeting, and uh, preacher's kids, you know, and preacher's kids kind of get a bad rap. Not all the time. Sometimes we really do deserve it. But I remember at the 4th of July meeting, there was one guy that always gave me $20. 
Let me tell you what, the first time I showed up, every time I showed up at the 4th of July meeting, I scanned the crowd and I made sure I went and talked to that guy first. That's just what you did. I mean, seven years old, what are you going to do? I'm going to go find that guy first and say, how are you doing? Good to see you this year. Isn't that how it goes? And that's how we sometimes do our lives. We get so excited, not so much about the relationship, not so much about uh, that person per se or our job or anything else. We get excited about the greenbacks in our wallet, in our bank account, in our IRAs, in our Roths, and you name it. We like it, and we like it to be a lot because, I mean, after all, the guy with the most stuff wins, right? If you got the most toys in your sandbox, you must be doing really well in life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Do you have things? Oh, oh, yes, we have things. Shahe and Lizzie realize right now they have many things. They probably didn't realize how many things they had until they had to box up all of their things. And if you've moved once, twice, or three or four times, it's nice to be able to get rid of it because we all have many things. Jesus said our life is not about the abundance of things. Verse 17, verse 16. And he spoke to them a parable saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops, so he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. All about me. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This parable wouldn't have been a bad parable if the guy had said, you know what, I've got too much stuff, I'm going to give some of it away. Jesus wouldn't have condemned that guy, he would have applauded that guy. And I can prove it to you. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. What? You mean my job is not to try to figure out how I can get more and more stuff? That's exactly what I'm saying. And if nobody has ever told you, when you get so much stuff, you can't take care of your own stuff, give some of your stuff away. But that's not America. I mean, come on. And I'm not talking about a socialist agenda in the government. I'm not talking about somebody coming and taxing it away. I'm talking about Christians recognizing 
how much we have and giving it away. That is a biblical principle. A man that can work should be able to labor with his own hands so he can give to those who need. You know what Jesus said also? Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I know a girl right now that if she is ever taken, if she ever has a picture taken in one set of clothes, she never puts it on again. <laughs> yeah. How would you like to how would you like to have that? You get a picture taken, never it never gonna wear them again. Jesus said the body's more than food. If you think our economy is hurting too bad, go buy all the fast food restaurants and all the restaurants tonight in Bakersfield, California. In fact, go by the restaurants anywhere today and you'll find people eating and eating out and eating big. Jesus said the life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. In Matthew 6 and verse 25, listen to what Jesus said there. He said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he went on to discuss the concept that God has taken care of the lilies of the field and made them more arrayed and more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. It's not about stuff. It's not about things. It's not about food. It's not about clothing. It's not about money. That's not what it is about. You know what your life should be about? Your life is holy. Your life is giving. Your life is a blessing. You're a person that helps. And I'll just say, etc. What are our lives like? What are our lives really like? James posed the keynote point of the hour when he said, what is your life? A psychologist named William Marston asked 3,000 people, what are you living for? He was shocked when 94% of those polled said they were simply enduring the present, waiting on something to happen in the future. They're just kind of hanging out. They would describe this as waiting for something to happen. Waiting for children to grow up and leave home. Waiting for the next year. Waiting for another time to take a long dreamed about vacation. Waiting for tomorrow. Just waiting. Just kind of hanging out. Just kind of going through the motions. Life is not just about going through the motions. Life is not about that. Life is a life, and I'll put it in big letters. Life is a life of purpose when you're in Christ. It's a life of purpose, and I intend to prove that. I'll tell you what life is too. Of all the things life is, and of all the time God gives you, we often say three score and ten, lots of folks die in their teenage years, or even before, in their 20s and 30s and 40s. Some die way before their time. We say three score and ten, 70 years. Some of you here are in your 80s or 90s. But above all, our human view is, man, if you live to 80 or 90, you're doing real good. 
Of all the time we have, there is a word that describes it, and that word is short. It is short. Job said, or the proverb writer said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. That's a big thing. 1 Peter 1, 24. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. I didn't believe that when I was 16. You know what happened when I turned 16? Nothing happened. Not one thing. I mean, it should have, but it didn't. My license said you can drive. My dad did not provide any wheels to drive. Nothing happened. So I waited till I was 18. What happened? Lots of things happened. Graduated high school. Couldn't wait for that. Couldn't wait to get in an $850, 1988 hail damage Honda Civic that was all mine. That was a big deal. Let me tell you, your expectations wane considerably when you wait two years to get your own vehicle. You can go from anticipating a new Corvette or a new Mustang to very happy with a Honda Civic that is beat up and damaged. But I was waiting. Couldn't wait to get through college. You look forward to it. You just, it's just one of the, it seems like the hoop that you jump through and jump through and it never gets there and finally it does. And then all of a sudden you're 31 years old and life just seems to have gone in, in, in fast forward all of a sudden the last five or six years. And some of you are sitting there going, you just wait, buddy. And you're right. Because it gets faster, doesn't it? None of us believe that though. We're 10 feet tall and bulletproof from the time we learn to hear anybody from this pulpit till we're about 30. And then we listen to songs like I remember when 30 was old and we think, uh. You know what James said about your life? James said it's like a vapor. A.T. Robertson in his great work said that literally means appearing and disappearing. If you want to play a good game, go home, put a pot of water or put one of those old uh, steam pots or teapots on the stove and wait on it to start its whistling. And when it starts its whistling, it's that nagging uh, sound that will awake you, get your attention, it lets you know it's boiling. And that steam starts shooting up and it goes about that far. Can you grab a hold of that steam? Can, I mean, can you really get a hold of it? Certainly not, you can't. That's exactly what your life is. Your life is rapidly moving. You're rapidly moving to the time when you will not exist physically. There will never be a time when you do not exist spiritually and when your soul does not exist. What is your life? I intend to answer that in two categories. First, I want to talk about what your life is like out of Christ. And then I want to talk about your life in Christ. If you have a Bible, I invite you to pick it up because I want to tell you, you meet me at the back door and you don't know where you are after we study this, I want you to be able to know. There's only one or two places you are tonight. You might be confused. You might have had a bad religious experience. You might be a little discouraged. Life in its brevity may be giving you the raw end of the deal. You may be on the bad end of a housing market or an economic market, or you may not have a job right now. 
You may have bad things going on in your life and you may think, I don't understand this, but I want to tell you something. Greater than all the things, food, clothing, and money. Greater than all this stuff that our world literally gets up at, at the crack of dawn and gets after it about and literally never sleeps. And we go in the rabid uh, desire and function to get all of this stuff. There is a greater question. My life is either out of Christ or it is in Christ. And you have to know the difference. You don't get a choice to leave. You don't get a choice to live life and not know. That's my job, and that's what a gospel meeting is. It's good news for people to know that they can be in Christ. It's bad news for people that have decided they want to stay out. Hell has not cooled off. And heaven has not lost one ray of splendor. Out of Christ or in Christ. I want to invite your attention to the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul. This is the guy, remember, I told you, if you think you've had a rough life, let me explain to you Paul's. Paul's life was very simple. He was the most brilliant guy they could ever find at this period of time. He would be called the sheriff of the Sanhedrin court. He was the up-and-coming star that was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel, an amazing doctor of the law that squelched several rebellions and solved many, many hard problems among the Jews. When Peter was called before his council, he said, if this thing they're preaching is of God, it'll last, and you better not fight against it. If it's not of God, it'll fall apart. And he cited two examples. He was quite a brilliant man. It would be the equivalent of you going to Yale, Harvard, Princeton, or perhaps across the water to Oxford, a brighter guy you've never heard of. But then he realizes he's been wrong. And he's been wrong in the worst of ways. Have you ever been found to be wrong? Sure you have. Maybe you're a person who doesn't like to admit it. That's okay. Paul didn't like to admit it either. He liked to stay the course of what he believed. And so he could say, I've lived in all good conscience up until this day. He literally took people out of church services as we might have here. Put them in jail. He ripped families apart and he murdered people. Your life may be a mess, but if you're a murderer and I don't know it, don't tell me after church. I don't want to know that. Because that frightens us, doesn't it? This was a guy that you feared. This was a guy that literally would rip that grandbaby or that child out of your arms and your children would have to watch as you were carried off to prison or perhaps stoned or died on the spot. And then he's converted by Jesus Christ. A very special example in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to him. He's made blind. He says, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And don't you know a moment of unbelievable shock and awe hit Paul or Saul at that time. And Jesus sent him into the city and he prayed for three days and three nights. Let me tell you something. If you've ever been wrong and you've ever messed up in your life, I hope and I pray that you've spent some time on your knees and I hope you've spent some time regretting your life and I hope you've spent some time convicted because that means you have a conscience and that means you have a heart that will recognize it when you're wrong. And if you don't know when you're wrong, then you're not listening to me right now anyway. 
Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This guy's was just really personal. And so he prays for three days and three nights, not saved. Ananias gets a, literally almost a phone call from God. Go and preach to this guy, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias gets, says, wait a second. <laughs> In case you didn't get the memo, this guy's bad news. God said, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He will carry my name before kings and before great men. And so he went down there and said, Brother Saul, not because he was a Christian, but because he was a Jew. And he said, Now why tarriest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul did that. This is the same guy that wrote, We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I want you to pay attention to what this man wrote by inspiration in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to diagram it real quick. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, notice what he says there. Therefore, remember, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, and I'm just going to put on up here, who were called uncircumcision by that which was called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. You were without Christ, being aliens. Do we have a, a situation in our country where people like to get on politically and discuss the concept of whether we're a citizen or whether we're an illegal alien? Sure we do. It's hot political news right now. Well, guess what? All of us, and Paul was pointing to the Ephesian church, now they are un considered uncircumcised. They're without Christ. They are aliens, he says, from the, from the co uh, commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you're out of Jesus. We all have found ourselves in that condition. How, why is that? Because sin separates us from God. When we, are in, when we are out of Christ, we are in our sins. And the same way that the Gentiles were considered uncircumcised, without Christ, aliens, strangers, having no hope and without God, that is us as well. And it's way more than just saying, oh, I'm not into church right now. I heard people say that to me today as I walked around trying to invite people with Frank. I'm just not into church. If I'm out of Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. When the Bible says I have no hope, I scared a woman today. I sure did. I didn't mean to. I came around the corner as she was coming out of her door, and she went, oh, why did she do that? Why did she do that? Because this word means something. What do you teach little kids to do? Stranger! Stranger! That's what you do, isn't it? 
You certainly don't want a little one going up and throwing their arms around Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody else like that saying, how are you doing today? They're strangers. There's no relationship there. They represent danger, so to speak, in our minds and our culture for little kids. It represents danger for us when we are strangers from God. That's dangerous. Way more dangerous than any man could be in the flesh today. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if we're outside of Jesus Christ, let me tell you today, you need to be afraid. And if you're not afraid, something's wrong with your head. And there's something wrong with mine if I'm out of Jesus Christ. Most people today don't like to think about that. Most people today don't want to consider their life out of Jesus. Too many describe their life, though, like Shakespeare had Macbeth describe it, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Nothing. Outside of Jesus, there may be much sound and there may be much fury, but there's no real meaning. There's no real meaning. All right. Let me make this as real as I can. And I'll add a few up here too. Well, I'll do it verbally. When I was in college, I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes I flipped channels and I watched VH1 behind the music. The beauty of it was that I saw many lives of people who lived in Southern California, people who lived in LA, people who lived in Hollywood, let me tell you what, what, what life is like for these people. They had all the things, food, clothing, money, and I might add, every pleasure you can imagine, every man or woman, every high, every joy, everything imaginable. Nothing was off limits. There were no boundaries. They lived their life. They did the maximum of what you could possibly do. And let me tell you, almost to the man, to the woman, to the case, what happened? They were miserable, they were unhappy, they were depressed, they had every drug known to man raging through their veins, and they couldn't stand to look at themselves in the mirror. They literally, as Solomon said, were chasing the wind. And they didn't recognize, sometimes we don't recognize, what is the source of this agony inside of me? The source of agony is when we do not have a relationship with God and we get to the point in time we have no hope. And that's one of the most tragic places to ever be. There are people who get there. And almost without a doubt, names begin to fill our head of people that got to that point and took their own lives because they could not stand to get up every day and face their reality. What is your life, though, in Christ? All right. The same guy, the same book. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, or verse 2, listen to what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing he says 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Very powerful word. Just as he chose us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his goodwill to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved I love this next verse in him in Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace Do you know how it is that a guy named Saul of Tarsus could live a life, kill people, murder people, abuse people, fight Jesus Christ, and go through all the emotions of somebody that recognized that and how it is that he could get up and then later live a great, productive, wonderful life? Do you know how that is? Because he was forgiven and he recognized his value. He would say in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. In Christ, every spiritual blessing is available to you. You have the privilege to pray. Outside of Jesus, God doesn't hear sinner's prayer. In Jesus Christ, he hears every last one. In Jesus Christ, he created a chosen people. He created us as sons, a family relationship. Your family may be completely messed up. You may not know who they are, where they are, or what's going on. But in Jesus Christ, you've got the most wonderful father, the most wonderful elder brother, and the most wonderful people that God has placed you with on the face of the top side of this earth. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted in Christ. And you're forgiven. You add up all the mistakes and all the shortcomings of your life. And if you dwell on that, you can weep for a week and a month and a year and it'll never make you feel better. You add up all those mistakes and recognize that all those things are forgiven. And now you have a new name. Now you wear the name of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing. And that's in Christ. The Bible says, those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. I want to quote this very quickly, or read this very quickly. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now what does that mean? I'll make this quick. Here's what this means. It means the Holy Spirit 
Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he went away, he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit was going to guide the apostles. Those apostles would write down the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would begin to preach this word, which was called the good news. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Have you been saved? He also said, go and preach repentance to all men everywhere. Acts 17 and 30, Paul did that. He commanded us to confess him as the Son of God. There are passages, John 8, 24, Luke 13 and 3, Matthew 10, 32, John 3 and 5, Mark 16 and 16. Why is this so important? Here's why it's important. When, when the Bible says the Holy Spirit or the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God, how does the Holy Spirit communicate with my spirit? The Holy Spirit revealed the Word of God. That is good news to communicate with my heart. And when my heart interacts with the Holy Spirit, I can know that I am in Christ and I'm a child of God and I'm accepted. And you don't have to wonder about it. That's why that's powerful. That's why that's powerful. The Bible says in Galatians 3.26, For you're all children of Christ, or children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This, tonight I've got a jacket. This jacket is a suit jacket. I'm sweating underneath it, I can tell you right now. This jacket is very important to me. It makes up a whole suit. I hang it up every time I go home. How do I get into this jacket? Well, I put my arm into this jacket. When I put my other arm into this jacket, and I pull it up, my jacket's on now. I put my arms into this jacket, and I put on this jacket. When I'm baptized, I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, and I put on Christ. My question to you tonight is, if you're still you, and you've never accepted Jesus, then you're going to face God as you. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to face God with all the mistakes and sins. I want you to face God with the reality that you've been accepted and forgiven and washed from all of your sins by the blood of Jesus. Revelations 1 and 5 says, Unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. That's what I want for you. That's why I'm here tonight. And if you've never been washed from your sins, this is your chance. You've got breath in your body to confess the sweet name of Jesus based off your faith. You've got the ability to choose a life as a son of God as, a, as opposed to a life of an alien or a stranger with no hope and without God. You have that opportunity. You have that opportunity. I'll close with this. James said life is but a vapor. The average man lives 74 years. That's approximately 888 months, 3,848 weeks, 27,010 days, 648,240 hours, 38,894,400 minutes, 2,000,000,000. 22,508,800 heartbeats. 
How many more heartbeats do you think you have before your life is a vapor? Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? The answer, you alone know in your heart. And if you're outside of Jesus Christ, why don't you come tonight? Accept the gospel. Let your spirit interact with the Holy Spirit that is calling you through the word of God and the good news tonight. And why don't you respond in faith and commit to change your life, confess Jesus as the Son of God and be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you've never done that, I beg you, please. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.